Thank you for listening to the Home Matters Podcast. This is brought to you by the Whiteman Brock Real Estate Advisors. We are Ron and Lynn Whiteman and Randy Brock, licensed realtors in the state of Minnesota. We are here to provide you an exemplary real estate experience, whether you are buying or selling across any price range. We are here to team up with you and advise you on what's going to be the best route of action for you, whether you are a first-time home buyer, relocating, or you need just to find some more space. Find us at whitemanbrock.com. Give us a call, 507-208-2246. I get the right number? You are so good. Okay, well, thank you. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to forget your number. You are so good. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, Ron and Lynn are alongside, and our special guest today is William Forsman. You might have seen William. Most likely you have, and uh, he's, he's downtown. Mm. All the time. That's right. Hello. With a cup of coffee in your with a hand. Cup of, mostly with a cup of coffee <laughs> right. in my All hand. All the time. And running, sweating, sometimes, yeah, sometimes right. crying. Yeah, now that you've got 15 <laughs> locations. <laughs> yeah. 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 Luckily, they're all within a block of each other, so it makes <laughs> it good yeah. transit at least somewhat. Uh, so thanks for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank we're you gonna, for having me on. Yeah, we're going to kick it off with some real estate info. Ron, what you got today? Well, let's talk about your hobby. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about my hobby. What is your hobby? I have it's, so it's many the, It's the weather. <laughs> it is the weather. The weather is a hobby. I love to talk about the weather. Fly fishing's a hobby. I love to talk about that. Well, your, your face has been out in the weather a little bit lately, so it that's it's kind of fun uh, to talk about. But, yeah. you know, today it's it's one of our colder days of the year, right? My goodness. Getting... Yeah. And we've been spoiled this winter so far, haven't we? We really have. Yeah. So we get one day where it's down below zero, and it's a little bit of a shock to the system. Lynn came in here um, looking, looking like the marshmallow woman. <laughs> I <laughs> did. Had 13 layers of clothes. I did. I've already taken two off. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, 35 below. It's so cold this morning that my 13-year-old son was wearing a hat, gloves, and jacket. Oh, oh my. wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Did when you have 13. to tell him to? No. <laughs> wow. Without okay. telling him. And it's so cold that my 16-year-old was wearing a hoodie. Wow, that's yeah. that seems appropriate. Actually, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that was about it. Is that true? Are you warm enough? He's like, yeah, Dad. <laughs> well, the thing we know about housing, uh, your home when it's as cold, is if your furnace is going to fail, when is it going to do it? On the coldest the day, of worst the day of the year. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. and it's probably not going to even happen during the daylight hours. It's going to happen at night, right? When it's just running nonstop. Mm-hmm. So, question for anyone who's listening right now: Think about the last time you changed your furnace filter. And if you can't remember when, please hit pause. Go do it immediately <laughs> because your furnace right is it's gasping for air. <laughs> yes. You know, it's just uh, we, we, we th- home is where we do everything. And what keeps us warm in the winter besides our parkas, Lynn, is our furnace. So, you know, it's, it's important that you have it serviced every year. But we pulled a furnace filter out on an inspection uh, two weeks ago. And the filter had seriously not probably been changed in years. Uh, you couldn't see through it. It was heavy. It was grimy, and the furnace was just whistling. So, <laughs> you know, which means it's struggling. Which means it's really yeah. struggling. And if you haven't had it serviced in probably three or years, three or more years, and it's an older unit, you really should get on a schedule to have it serviced now. It's not too late because it's 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 cold. And mm-hmm. if you're asking the question, my furnace has a filter. 
Yeah. You know we were it's in too trouble. Late. <laughs> You're thinking, oh, yeah, well, we changed it when we had our inspection, when we bought the house four right. years ago. Right. What right. are some other visual indicators to, to tell you that you need to change your filters? Because, you know, is there, is there a time in which it's too often to change your filter? I don't really think there is a too often. You okay. know, if you've got the really thin fit filters, that's yep. a great question, that yep. are one inch. They say every 30 days, year round. Really? Yep. Really? Wow. Yep. And then they've got a thicker version, uh, like a two or a three inch filter that you change quarterly. Okay. And then we've got the really thick six inch filters, and those are changed seasonally. So when you transfer from heat to cool, cool to heat. Right. But really, you know, if, if you hear any noise from your sure. furnace, you yeah. should be changing it. Uh, we, we had people call us one time. They thought they had bats in their house. T- true story. True Funny. story. And it was their furnace gasping for air. Sure enough. That <laughs> wow. <laughs> and all those filters are single use. Absolutely. So you, you need to change them out. You can't yeah. reuse them. And, Correct. Uh, they don't make reusable filters. Well, they do. Uh, but the we do. of them is probably Yeah, they've got some electronically charged ones that can be f- oh, washed. Fine. But... Okay. Um, that's for people who are pretty uh, allergy sensitive and those okay. kind of things, and they're okay. kind of expensive. So the general homeowner is probably going to have a one use that needs to be changed uh, every thirty days, every quarter at least. Thirty days. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's often. That is often. Yeah. most yeah. people I don't think hit that target. No, no, we want to. Yeah, right. good. Put a reminder on your phone, and even I've got one, and I miss it. Yep. Here and there. Well, and things that affect that would be like if you have pets in the house, because yes. mm-hmm. dog hair, cat hair, those kinds of things would make mandate that that should be done even, you know, yeah. at, especially at 30 days. And to not really buy expensive filters because you do throw them away mm-hmm. at 30 mm-hmm. days. So the cheap ones really are okay yep. as long as they fit your furnace. Exactly. And they even recommend, a lot of them are recommending that anymore because if you get the real expensive and thick High filtering is that they'll even make the furnace struggle from the get-go. Is sure. that there's not enough air that can get through there, or it catches so much dust right away. Now, if somebody's listening and they have extreme allergies, and we've had clients right. who have real, you know, low allergy tolerance, they end up probably needing to get that larger, you know, yep. filtration system anyway. Mm-hmm. That you probably don't want to be relying on those one-inch filters. Correct. Yeah. And the other thing that we don't think about until it's, until we're cold in our houses is if you have a high-efficient furnace, and how do you tell if you do? If you don't know, you look at the furnace, and if it's got plastic pipes coming out of it, the white plastic typically, mm-hmm. it is uh, high-efficient, and those vent right straight out the wall. And so that becomes a problem if we have a lot of snow, and we're not yeah. probably mm-hmm. at that point yet. But if the snow drifts up uh, to, the, to the height of that pipe on the outside of your house, your furnace will sense that it can get no air and it will shut off. Yeah, and, and again, you don't want your alarm to go off at six o'clock in the morning uh, to get up to a house that's you know 40 degrees mm-hmm. and then have to go out and shovel a path. Yeah, and that was a very real problem last February because it was. we had 40 inches of snow in February. March was still cold. So yeah, that happened quite a bit. I think it's even... Now, was it? Did we have some carbon monoxide issues, like a couple around the state? I thought, and I that's think, yeah. not you know very common. But yeah, you don't you don't want any of those pipes covered in a snowbank. You don't. Yeah. We have a neighbor who is a retired engineer. We love engineers. I mean, we couldn't get along without them. But he is diligent. Uh, every time we get a snow, he'll be out there with his broom brushing off all of his pipes out of his furnace. Funny. It's pretty fun to watch. Yeah. So. Yeah. A quick aside to that, we have a client who's an engineer, and Ron and I went out for a pre-list appointment two weeks ago. 
we learned more about septic systems oh my than we had ever known before. <laughs> I don't even know if people who specialize in septic systems know as much as our engineer This client. guy probably just you, had a free afternoon oh, and, and dug into it. He learned everything. Yeah. Was you should have got a CE credit for that. Yeah. We should have. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, that, that, oh. All right, so that the drain field can be overused to a point. So there's, there's bacteria that are in the drain field that okay. help the septic system operate. And when one portion of it has been overused, that the system will automatically switch over on, to, its, own. on its own to another section down the line. There, I, think I had there no are, idea. There are three, yeah. And, I, and no I can't even remember the, the verbiage that he was using, <laughs> but it was fascinating. And so the bacteria is a critical element to the yep. septic system for the drain field. Interesting. Yeah. It was it was fun, but, but this is outside of the tank when you say when you say drain field. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so what, you've got your two tanks, and then beyond that, the drain field. So once the bacteria has depleted a certain a specific area, naturally it starts to shift to a different area. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. So the tanks has become sentient. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and he was going on for like twenty minutes. Sure. About, <laughs> about this. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, and but anyway, engineers, we love them. I mean, yes. we kid. But but we love them. I took so. us down a rabbit hole. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. We could that's probably okay. talk about septic tanks for this whole this whole segment. <laughs> we probably could. We should have him on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> anyway, let's let's get to business. William, thank you, thank hey. you, thank you for joining us. Thank um, you for having me. You know, we do see you. And actually, I saw you uh, last Thursday night. Uh, I was out with a photography group, mm-hmm. and we were doing. Um, Socialize. Yep. Yeah. And I saw the back of you with a cart and coffee going quickly down. Yeah. The yeah. Well, and, and it's only when you're trying to move quickly that there are suddenly a lot of people in front yes. of you. <laughs> that. Uh, but yeah, we uh, socialize. We had a presence for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and it was uh, incredibly busy. And we were the first of the um, non-alcoholic vendors to ever be a part of that that event, and along with um, Jerk King, who was providing food. And so we had no idea what to anticipate. So first night we came, you know, swinging pretty heavy and there weren't a lot of people. And so mm-hmm. the second night it, we came, you know, a little short, but, but of course, Friday and Saturday night were the busiest. And overall they saw, you know, 70, close to 70,000 people in That's attendance huge. of that event, which is the largest wow. attendance they, they've ever had. And we hope that now because um, it appears to be a more accessible event that more people are willing to come downtown. And we definitely saw a lot more kids past, you know, seven o'clock. And that was really encouraging. And a lot of people came up to us specifically and said, you know, I wouldn't feel that the need to come down here were I not aware of the fact that there were options aside from, you know, just booze, which is really, really cool. Yeah. So that's but, really good. To that effect, it was extremely busy uh, Friday and Saturday, which involved a lot of uh, cardio on my part. Yeah, I back, saw you. Back and forth between yeah. the locations, which is funny. I was going to say you very svelte. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, good. Care One, yourself. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're, I think, local, if I remember right. I am, yeah. So I, I was born and raised in Iota, Minnesota. So I, ah. in fact, I'm sporting a jacket today. Uh, you know, I did, I did actually Sportsman's notice Club, that red so, jacket. Yeah. Um, and uh, went to school at Dorioda High School and um, did uh, a brief stint in uh, college uh, at the university, uh, or I'm sorry, North Dakota State University in Fargo, because I did not think that um, Southern Minnesota was cold enough, so I thought yeah, I might yeah. try Go it out. North. Yeah, well, you, we cancel classes at a certain point in Yoda because it gets too cold. In Fargo, they do not, so oh, you would get to 45 it. below, and you'd still have people walk in the class, which was incredible to see. But uh, after my uh, time in college, I came back home and. Um, was in the process of uh, looking for employment, and I was kind of in a number of, of 
uh, touring bands at the time, and we were playing shows all over Minnesota. And um, one of my uh, my guitarist uh, for one band was uh, also a solo musician who played shows in local coffee shops. And one of the coffee shops happened to be um, the coffee shop that was previously located at 315 uh, South Broadway. It's called Press Coffee and Tea. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, I, I was kind of, I just, you know, kind of um, explore uh, in kind of a had asked if if they were they were hiring and sure enough they were but it was only for a dishwasher's position so I was like well it's pay, probably pays more than playing music so <laughs> it's, a, it's a step up yeah. um, and uh, so I, I started there and uh, there and and just very slowly uh, grew a love for um, the community and um, being able to connect with people over coffee and being able to kind of share in an excitement for um, for the service industry with people because I really didn't have kind of a platform to be able to connect with people up to that point. Music was my way of connecting with people and um, you don't necessarily get that same face-to-face time with, with them as, as you'd like. You're up on stage, they're in the crowd and by the time you're done with playing, you you want to leave because you either the show was really bad or, or you're very tired. <laughs> you're tired. <laughs> very tired. Um, so at that point, um, took on more responsibility and in um, and began making coffee. Of course, I didn't necessarily get to um, have that same agency that I do with the position that I have um, with Cafe Steam. So in that transition um, from press to uh, Cafe Steam, I took on a leadership role, and I can always kind of had it in the back of my head that I would either like to start up something of my own or be able to purchase it into the business, and the latter of which um, happened first. So I saved up enough money. Um, I think there was a, a point in time where I was only spending like $20 a week on, uh-huh. on food and gas to get because I was, I was determined. That's remarkable. Uh, I was yeah. determined. Of course, yeah, and, and uh, that I was going to save up enough money to be able to do that and eventually was able to, and... Um, that was a point at which we only had one one location, and very quickly thereafter, we um, expanded to um, our second store in the, in the Hilton DoubleTree. Um, and then this past year, we opened up two more locations um, within the course of a week of each other. Um, one in the One Discovery Square building, and um, a partnership with Thesis Beer Project, which is out on West Second Street. So right. Wow. So to go back a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you start drinking coffee? Was did you drink coffee before you got into this business? No, or? no. Strangely enough, which is honestly a, a story that is far more common than you would think. Um, a lot of people in the coffee industry, and one one in particular, a good friend, um, his name is Rob. He, he owns Folly Coffee Roasters. Five years ago, he didn't drink specialty coffee. Now he owns one of the most reputable coffee roasters mm. in Minnesota, and wow. um, it's really cool to see because you approach it from the perspective of a consumer. A lot of people that um, have been in specialty coffee for, let's say, a decade and are now trying to do a new venture can sometimes get themselves caught up, caught in the weeds because they're focusing, um, and this was a, it's actually piggybacking on a big discussion we had at um, um, the uh, Minnesota Coffee Collective uh, a meeting that we had just a couple of days ago where what is it we're trying to communicate to people? Are you Is that first introduction to coffee that you're tasting good coffee or are we trying to communicate to you that you are, why this coffee is more expensive and is that what's bringing mm-hmm. you in? Um, two trains of thought that are kind of, um, if, if we're looking at uh, you know, the, the different industries that are operating in, in coffee, those, um, from my experience, that are approaching coffee from the sense that it needs to taste good first rather than trying to communicate to somebody why they should be drinking this coffee. That's going to be the introductory 
um, portion for a lot of people that's that's really going to get them invested into it. Um, but approaching it from the standpoint of a consumer where it's more about the experience, it's less about how I'm selling things to you. And um, so that that is what allowed us to kind of, um, for me personally, be able to, to find more traction. Than a lot of it's interesting because I remember drinking coffee for the first time. Of course, I'm a different generation, but I did it because I needed caffeine and had sure. very little. Yeah. My job demanded that I was awake and I had very little other resources for caffeine. But at that point, it was heavy cream, a um, little bit of sugar because we were drinking probably something equivalent to Folgers at sure. the time, you know, and it was just, it was terrible stuff. Yeah. But then you start getting used to the caffeine in your system. Mm-hmm. And so then I went black uh, coffee and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and now I've developed where I just, I, I love, I love the taste of it, but yeah. I'm, I'm not, yeah, it's got to taste good. And there was, I, I, as I was listening to you, William, I, I, there is coffee's made a comeback because mm. there was a season when people were into the uh, caffeinated beverages like Coke and Pepsi and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. And that generation is still out there that they, you know, some of them, that's what they have in the morning versus a cup of coffee. Um, but coffee's made a real comeback and it is people are discerning and it's it's kind of fun to see it because there is so much attention around the craft beers and things like that and that's not a bad thing but to give people choices yeah you know and to be able to I was just out last night with our our granddaughter and she's 16 and loves coffee absolutely mm-hmm. loves coffee and uh, to be able to share that, with a different generation is really fun for me. Yeah. I, I yeah. like to be able to do that, but it's because it tastes better. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember your first cup of coffee? Or how, did, how did you get started? Because you love coffee too. I do, yeah. And I, I love quality coffee now. I think when I started, it was, you know, that classic American culture of coffee where you want the cheapest and yep. the most. Yep. And uh, in high school, we'd go hang out at, at this, some restaurant on the edge of Litchfield and we would just hang out and drink coffee. Yeah together and uh, that was the stuff from a can you know yeah. was that your first experience with coffee you think I think so pretty okay. much I, you know my parents drank coffee every morning and yeah. I probably tried a little bit yeah. but never really at home first it was with friends and it was maybe that culture of hanging out with people that mm-hmm. was more responsible for drinking coffee than anything else yeah and I think that's what I love about it my, I grew up in a family where my they were the coffee pot was on all day um there was constantly, but it was cheap coffee. And my brothers were young and they were drinking coffee and I never drank coffee because I just didn't like the taste of it. Mm-hmm. And then after Ron and I got married, we started to explore that together. And, you know, I finally developed a taste for it. But for me, I do love the social of it. I do love to be able to sit in an, in an environment that allows me to interact with people and and just enjoy the beverage as well as the conversation, which is where these where all of these yeah. uh, new businesses are are targeting. Absolutely, and and, and so what I'm hearing from um, from from you guys is that a lot of your first experiences were a part of being being a part of something, being in a community, being and, and, and sharing in, in a culture or, or cultivating a culture. Mm-hmm. And for me, that first experience with coffee was when I was uh, I would be in grade school and before. Um, before school, I'd go up into my parents' bedroom and I'd watch cartoons. And of course, my dad had already left for work, and he'd left his coffee mug on on the ban- or on the nightstand. And I could smell mm-hmm. dried coffee has a has a 
much uh, if you take uh, the residual coffee at the bottom of your cup and, and allow it to dry and it has a much different aroma than than coffee when it's actually in liquid form it's a lot sweeter mm-hmm. um, it's a lot stronger um, because the surface area is a little bit different and it's more condensed and um, I would smell it I got I, I, I wanted to have some of it but then I would actually drink yes. coffee itself <laughs> and I think why would people put this into their bodies <laughs> and that hasn't changed a lot because there's right. still some coffees I drink today where I wonder why would somebody put this into their body you know, but, that's funny because we were on a road trip this last year and we were in a little tiny restaurant along the Mississippi in Louisiana mm-hmm. and um, that we we always have coffee and uh, it was Folgers and I'm good to, here to tell you I didn't like it sure it I was mean, so yeah. it was he he <laughs> said he said to the server this is really good what is this <laughs> and, Lynn look, and Lynn looked at me <laughs> oh it's it's, it's Folgers. We just we just take the old grounds and pour more on top, right. and, if you, and and we empty it every couple of days. There's a line out of uh, there's a line out of a movie and that my my father and I watch all. I've probably seen it twenty or thirty times. Where at the very end of the movie, there's a, a it's called No Country for Old Men. And, oh yeah. And, and so there's that part at the end where he yeah. shows up to the shack and um, um, and and uh, the primary character goes over the coffee pot and. There's a fellow that's clearly has lived in this shack for uh, by himself for a number of years, and all he has is cats, and it's out in the middle of the desert. And um, he goes to pour himself a cup of coffee. And he goes, "Is coffee fresh?" And he goes, mm, "Should be. Brewed it last week. <laughs> Make a fresh pot once a week. Whether or not I have to." And oh, wow, it's wonderful. And of course, I, I always get a kick out of it because. Um, but even from its inception, coffee was very much about community. You can look at its history and, and trace it back to its origins in in um, in Ethiopia and, and as it makes its accessions into um, the the Middle East, into into Mecca and um, the the kind of the, the genesis of this modern coffee house took place where people would discuss politics, sometimes controversial topics to the point where people would become so animated by the consumption of coffee and the way in which they would speak that the government would impose laws against coffee houses or, mm. or things like this. But very much it's been entwined with the culture and, and community. And so in forming Cafe's team, we wanted to kind of embody that um, that ability to cultivate an organic experience that is within that, that coffee house concept. Where our mission statement is in line with um, a, a short story by Ernest Hemingway. It's called A Clean, Well-Lighted Place. And it's, um, this, it's a, it's a um, relatively brief story, but it's an interaction between um, in a cafe where an older waiter and a younger waiter are discussing kicking out an old man that's been there for too long. And the younger waiter says, I, I just wish he would go somewhere else. It's late at night. I want to go home. Um, and the older waiter says, well, uh, he has every right to be here because everyone needs a place that's that's the, that third place or that clean, well-lighted mm-hmm. place. It's not work. It's not home. Um, but you can use it to any degree that you want to. And that's hopefully what we're, what we're able to create with mm-hmm. our space. So there, you've gotten the mission. That's a great story because it is, and I don't think about it in that terms as a third place, but we often will, you know, go hang out at Mm -hmm. that third place because it is not the office, which has its feel, and it's not home, but it is, it's, it's, and you've done that very well Mm -hmm. in in all of your, your locations. It's very comfortable to be there. The room of requirement for Harry Potter fans. That's right. (laughs) That is a little moment of enlightenment for me too, because I remember that in college where I never wanted to be not never. I didn't want to be on campus necessarily in a classroom in school. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be in my apartment. 
I wanted to be somewhere else. I wanted to be able to do my homework. Yeah. Sometimes it was the library. More often than not, it was the coffee house. Just go hang out. And, you know, I guess maybe it was our Midwestern culture. I was self-conscious of that to an extent, too. Like, am I sitting here too long spending not enough yes. money to do yes. homework? Like, I feel like... Well, you know, I can't use the bathroom unless I buy something. Oh, right. <laughs> funny. Well, and there is a little, there is that thought, you know, um, something that will um, kind of superficially frustrate me is if somebody brings coffee from another coffee shop in. And and that's a, a momentary, like, you have to you have to show a little bit of restraint in that. You know, not something we want to see every mm-hmm. single day. I'm not, I'm not paying to keep the lights on at, uh, at uh, you know, mm-hmm. a coffee shop nearby. But right. what, what I do want to cultivate is that, that idea that, you know, you are not responsible for um, necessarily um, funding, you know, Cafe Steam, but we're here to do our part in, in creating uh, that community. So nine times out of ten to address that 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 self-conscious part, nobody's paying attention to you. Right. <laughs> I'm not yeah. I'm not up, up at my desk keeping a log of, like, red sweatshirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 3.30 p.m. Right. buys one coffee. Showed up with a, co- showed up with a coffee butter's mug. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody's paying attention to you. Don't, yeah. And, and um, that is also part of the um, – one of the um, – the joys of a coffee shop is that sometimes nobody's paying attention to you. Um, yeah. Now, you mentioned the history, and, and you talked about <clears throat> Ethiopia, and mm-hmm. I'm, I tuned into that because my brother visited there a couple times and absolutely loved that country. Visited Ethiopia, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely loved it yeah. there, and he was, you know, into agriculture <clears throat> and, you know, sharing of ideas and things like that. But talk to us about why Ethiopia. Have you been there? I have, yeah. I've actually um, had the... The joy of being uh, in Ethiopia and Kenya to explore um, where it is that we source our coffee. So um, that was um, primarily for the purposes of um, uh, expanding my knowledge of coffee. You can read as much as you want about coffee, but until mm-hmm. you get on the ground and understand um, how difficult resources are for a number of these farms and and washing stations and drying stations, uh, you really can't conceptualize your role in a sustainable um, a sustainable supply chain, um, and understanding how the the impact that you can make from from your end in order to um, increase the livelihoods of of those that are working for something that you don't even consider. Um, uh, on a daily basis, or you don't think necessarily that difficult about, or that that much about. Um, but yeah, e- Ethiopia is an incredible, incredible place. It's a, very intense. Um, the ground rules. If you've ever been um, to any country in in Africa, I've also had the, the opportunity to go to South Africa and, and Namibia to a little bit more accessible places. But the ground rules are very different, um, and it, the transportation in Ethiopia specifically is extremely tough. Um, there are there are cars and plenty of cars, um, but it is not advised that we drive as Westerners drive there because um, the ground rules are just very very different. So, right. um, and the people there are are the most friendly people that you can imagine. Every village that we would go to, it was you know we were welcomed with open arms and and invited to share in their culture and and not in a very commercialized way like. Um, you see a little bit of that in Kenya because the tourism there is so much higher. Ethiopia is not a, a tourist um, hotspot. You know, there there is not the infrastructure that is um, necessarily necess- necessary for um, tourism to be a huge economic driver. Um, but in Kenya, there is. So in Kenya, you get a lot more of that that commercialization of of tourism and and that kind of cultivated or or kind of forced. Um, 
cultural cultural interaction. I think I went to a a bead factory in in Kenya, and as we were getting the tour from the owner, the owner goes, he stops in the middle of the tour, and he says, uh, the workers have told me they'd like to sing for you. And I went, man, you haven't been talking to anybody while you're here. Please don't do this. And so, and then he kind of <laughs> gives this quick little hut, and and they stand up and they start singing. It was it was very much a forced interaction. Whereas when I was in Ethiopia. Um, I stayed in the uh, village of Aricha, and which is in, um, I think it's in Yugechefe, which is a province of, of southern Ethiopia, and stayed in, in the house of um, one of the, the owners of the, of the mill there and woke up at, at 6 a.m. that morning and just saw streams of people walking, walking down the road. And the, the population density in, in central Ethiopia is incredibly high. It's very much like India. And just saw streams of people walking, walking, walking. Oh, gosh, where are they going at this time of day? Well, they were going to work at the uh, the the mill, the coffee mill that was right next door. And um, as they were gathering, and I was the first one out to kind of go uh, and and see them. They would gather for their prayers in in the morning, and after prayers, they would sing hymns. And and um, the and it was not like uh, I was I was observing, and I was not necessarily not supposed to be there, but I was also not necessarily, um, it was nice to kind of be a fly on the wall and not have mm-hmm. to be forced into that, that situation. Mm-hmm. One of the most uh, kind of enlightening experiences of my life where you, you stop and you're like, I'm in central Ethiopia, I'm listening to these very um, unique uh, forms of, of songs that, that are being sung. And I'll, I'll play some for you on my phone once after we do this recording just so that you guys can see. But um, you just feel as though you're surrounded by something that is so completely different from yourself. And, and that was really eye-opening to be a part of. But, um, yeah, sorry, I kind of went on a tangent No, that's there. great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So do most of your coffees come from there? Um, our, we have a couple of coffees that we're serving right now in Ethiopian uh, Suke Kuto, which is um, supplied by a farmer named Tesfayi. Um, that we have on year-round, and then an Ethiopian Mormora, that, that's what I'm, I'm drinking today, which is a natural processed um, Ethiopian. But otherwise, we get coffee from Guatemala, Costa Rica, Burundi, I mean, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are supplied by any number of our guest roasters that appear at the shop um, any any month throughout the year. So throughout the, mu- throughout the year, um, we'll have 12 different guest roasters on, um, locally based in either Minnesota, Iowa, or Wisconsin, um, that uh, will serve their coffee um, on our, our pour-over bar or available in retail. And um, so that makes it makes coffee that is good um, and accessible locally um, and gives them it the kind of platform in Rochester that it didn't have before because a lot of people think that you need to go to the West Coast, you need to go to the East Coast. But one of the largest green coffee importers in the world is located in Minneapolis, Cafe Imports. And from that... We now have a, a, a surplus of micro roasters that are looking for people in Minnesota to cultivate that that coffee culture, and um, we want to operate as kind of a conduit for that to connect to to Rochester. So tell me this: if you if you walk into Cafe Steam and you're not a coffee connoisseur, yeah. Are the people behind that counter trained to talk you through the experience yeah. of what kind of coffee do you like? How can I help you recommend whatever? Mm-hmm. Are they are they trained to do that? Absolutely, yeah. And and we train them in the sense that it needs to be subjective. Um, so when I'm not asking our baristas to trick you into buying something, I'm not going to say, hey, we're not selling enough mochas today, so let's let's start pushing mochas. It's it's not like that. I want them to tell 
our customers what they enjoy about coffee. And hopefully, um, it's my job to um, allow them to enjoy, our baristas to enjoy coffee more. So um, when you come in, we're going to ask you a series of questions. And, and unlike, um, I, I shouldn't say unlike, but what we are proud of is um, we do not have kind of that animosity or that, that um, you can, in some coffee shops, you can feel as though not knowing enough about coffee makes it so that you can't be there. Um, or it feels like mm-hmm. it's a space that you can't be a part of. You feel intimidated. You feel intimidated. Yep. And, and we want to kind of remove that that veneer because um, we are all people and everything needs to be a learning experience. We need to allow ourselves mm-hmm. an opportunity to grow. And if your first opportunity to grow, you're being intimidated by somebody who knows more than you that doesn't necessarily um, uh, reach your goal. Um, but you're going to ask BS a series of questions. So, you know, do you like coffee or tea? Um, somebody says coffee, great. Are you looking for something sweet or not so sweet? Say not so sweet, okay. Are you looking for high caffeine or low caffeine? And and so it's a series of very superficial questions, but allows us to kind of um, compartmentalize what it is that you're looking for. And hopefully we're able to suggest something based off of the information that you are giving us. Um, But then every once in a while you'll have the coffee drinker who is perhaps a little bit more knowledgeable and um, is asking particular questions about who you have on guest roaster. And, and sometimes it can start out as simple as like, hey, is this a light roast or a dark roast? Okay, that gives us an understanding that, okay, you know some, a little bit about coffee. I'll say, oh, <clears throat> um, what's the, what is the origin of this coffee? All right, well, now we're getting a little mm-hmm. bit more into it. And they say, well, what's the processing method of this coffee? And okay, oh my. Now, now you really get into it. And, uh, is this high elevation or low elevation? Oh, my goodness. So <laughs> there is a level to which no barista is going to be perfectly educated to coffee. Um, but there are those that feel confident that if they need to answer questions, they can do so. If there are questions that they can't answer, um, they can defer to someone else or simply say, no, I don't know the answer to that question. And then they'll come get me. <laughs> and, and then I'll come down. And uh, and that's the point at which, you know, if uh, I get really excited because if they're if somebody really wants to talk coffee, then I'm, I can talk their ear off for a couple See, hours. See, I was going to ask, when, which <laughs> one do you hang out in so we know? <laughs> oh, um, I'm, I'm at most of them every single day. I think the only one that I'm not at every single day is our thesis location just because it's a little bit on the periphery. And um, But uh, I, I usually stop at each one of them. So how much how much of your business, because the other change in the coffee industry, obviously, is all of the, I'll call them hybrids, I don't know what you call them, but sure. we're, we're adding all these things into what I don't see as a coffee, but, sure. you know, because I'm a purist, I love good, good black coffee. Yep. Don't put anything in it. Help me understand what you mean by putting things into it. You mean like flavor, milk? Um, yeah, all that. Yeah. Creams. And, yeah. I mean, you see coffees come out of there with, all, with the whipped creams and all this stuff, and mm-hmm. it's... Uh, Chocolate milk covered. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Ooh. yeah. Oh, we got into that in Australia. We ordered a. Oh yes. What was that that we ordered? Flat white. No. Um, it it was something that I get here. I can't remember now what I asked for, but it came out as a like dessert. an ice cream dessert, oh. and coffee was like the soda. Oh, affogato. I no, that wasn't the okay. word, but it was so sweet, and I went, "This is." Totally not what I like because I don't like a, sweet coffee. Either. You don't want the sugar sweats from a coffee drink. Calories is what I don't want. Yeah. It's very much of an outlier of an experience for Australia because Australia has a very cutting edge coffee scene. And, oh, their coffee's amazing. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, and and a lot of that is because um, 
they run on 220, uh, which is uh, the electrical supply, which actually provides more of an influence to the coffee scene in an area than you might anticipate uh, in areas of South Africa, which also operates on 220. Um, there was an espresso machine on every, every in every grocery store, in every restaurant, because mm -hmm. they could, you know, uh, they could put one there. In the U.S., it's not as common because you need to fit out, uh, you know, mm -hmm. your electrical supply to be able to ramp up to 220, and and so not all, and it's expensive to do that, and so you know not a lot of people think it's successful, and that's just a, a men mentality around it. But uh, Australia and New Zealand have a really cutting edge coffee scene. We went to this is a, a great story from there because we found our favorite little coffee shop, and we hung out there every morning, and mm -hmm. it was just steps from our room, and the servers, uh, uh, the barista, and the servers were so energetic engaging and mm -hmm. helpful and mm -hmm. so we said your coffee is amazing i, I went oh, to australia yep. thinking i would drink more wine and mm -hmm. i we drank coffee the entire time mm -hmm. we were there but she said yeah i either get my coffee here it's the only place i get it or i get it at 7-eleven fun and we went 7-eleven <laughs> tell us about the 7-eleven yeah. she said well if you're going to drink good coffee you get it here she said if you're going to drink Crappy coffee. Yeah. You go to Seven yeah. Eleven. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very guilty of the. Uh, uh, I have, I have two favorite coffees. There's a, a pulped natural, um, uh, Suke Kuto um, from Ethiopia. It's great. It's you know, twenty two dollars a bag. And my second favorite coffee is at four a.m. at Quick Trip when I'm on my way, down, <laughs> when I'm on my way down to the river uh, to fish Whoa. and. and uh, and God, there, there's no better experience in the world than having to wake up at 4 a.m. and you get that first sip of coffee and you're like, great. <laughs> but there's, um, uh, there's a story that our tea importer tells me, and he tells me, he never told me this story, but I call him a liar, um, that he sources tea out of China. And he went to one of these farms, and on this farm which grew one of the most expensive teas or one of the most highly sought after teas um, in all of China. He met with the farmer and in the morning before they were going to go out to the fields, um, the farmer offered him tea. Hot water's boiling and the farmer pulls out a bag of Lipton and, and starts soaking it into the teapot. And Garrett goes, why would, why would you serve me this tea <laughs> if you have all of this, uh, all of this uh, uh, you know, wonderful tea accessible to you? And looks at him and says, Garrett, sometimes you just have to drink the tea, and and sometimes we need to remove ourselves from um, the idea that we're we're ultra discerning or critical of of something that uh, people have worked very hard to produce. A lot of, especially that coffee that you're getting at Seven Eleven or getting at Quick Trip, um, people are living below poverty weight levels um, in order to produce it. A lot of the people that are producing the coffee that we are drinking or that I'm drinking right now are living below poverty level and. We have kind of mass commodified um, the idea of, of coffee as being something that's ultra ultra accessible. Of course, that is based on an, a time at which we were not as, um, as particular about how we were sourcing coffee. Um, so now we're putting all of these restrictions on farmers at the um, at the farm level, the mill level, and everything. Where whether it's you know sorting how we're picking coffee cherries. Um, sorting how we are, you know, if you're floating it, getting rid of the bad bad beans, to now what kind of certification do these do these coffee farmers have? You're looking at somebody who lives mm -hmm. below the poverty yeah. level, and you're going to say, "Are you rainforest certified?" And he goes, "I can't afford any of that." Yeah, are and, you certified are, organic? Are you certified organic? Mm -hmm. And he goes, "Man, I wouldn't. I don't know what organic is." So yeah. I, you yeah. know, you, we take it from the West, and this was kind of an enlightening experience. Is 
you have all of these roasters that uh, or, or and I didn't necessarily pr- uh, particularly see it uh, on on this trip, but people who go to origin and and assume to tell the farmer what they need to do, which if you've ever met a farmer in Minnesota and tell them how to run their farm, uh, you're going to get some pushback. (laughs) You'll literally. You'll get pushed into the (laughs) thresher. Um, It's no different there. Um, Of course, there is a social disconnect in in, um, whether it's the um, economic social disconnect or even the um, racial disconnect. If you see people of a different color skin, you're going to assume to tell them what to do. And, and a lot of people from the West feel that it is the prerogative to do so. Um, keeping in mind that, that we need to respect the coffee in any form, whether it's that cup of coffee that you get from the gas station or if it's that cup of coffee that you paid um, $7 for. So. Yeah. You know what strikes me about you, and I'm not even going to begin to guess how old you are, and you don't need to say, but, I mean, you went from a musician not knowing what you're going to do in life Hmm. to washing dishes Hmm. to, like, I mean, you can speak coffee. I'm impressed. I used used $10 words to to cover my insecurities. (laughs) Um, And a lot of that is about having an... um, an avenue through which you are passionate about. I don't yeah. know that anybody has been presented with such a cool opportunity. Every day I wake up, I don't dread going to work. Mm-hmm. I, I get to wake up and be excited about the people that I get to interact with. I work with um, you know, an incredible staff. We have 36 staff, and I think they're the best team that we've ever, ever, ever had. Um, and they do so much hard work to be able to follow in a vision that you share with them, uh, which is super crazy. When you have now, at least from my standpoint, when you have a, a, a vision and an excitement in something and people share in that with you and it becomes, it's no longer your thing anymore. So now you have a responsibility to it, to call it, to, um, mm-hmm. to continue to cultivate it for, for their um, uh, sake and, and for your sake, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, just being, being passionate about something, having positive feedback from that passion is incredibly, um, motivating. Um, when you do, can do something that you think is cool and somebody else thinks it's cool, it's, right. it's very, uh, is, is nice. And transitioning some of that experience as a musician is you're always trying to think about how am I being seen? Um, how, how am I being portrayed? And I think, um, uh, a, a lot of that image, that self-image can play into it, um, which I'm definitely very guilty of, is, is concentrating a lot of on that self-image. And you use the coffee shop as a conduit, as a, a, a best version of yourself. And um, hopefully we're able to do that, um, th- but through a number of different people, not not just myself, because it's it's not just me. So what do you see in the future for Cafe's team? I mean, you you really expanded your footprint mm-hmm. the, over the last year. What, what, are you, what are you seeing? You know, I would love to be able to continue to do any portion of it every single day. Um, And I try not to think, um, you know, there is the grand vision. We'd love to get into this. We'd love to, you know, vertically integrate. We'd love to, you know, so on, so on. I'm thinking about tomorrow. I'm thinking about next week. I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. uh, getting payroll in today. I'm thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I... I'm excited about any opportunity that comes along, and, and there are multitudes of opportunities and a lot of discussions going on about what the next step could be. Um, but taking grace in the in the moment is really, I think, what I'm focusing on. Um, 
but there is always the kind of the pie in the sky of, you know, would you like to see this become a larger brand? Um, that has a, that's a, that's a double-edged sword because our original motivation was to provide for Rochester. And let's say you go outside of Rochester, does that mm-hmm. kind of muddy the water a little bit? Or does sure. that start to encroach upon your values as a company? Um, but then it is to say, well, why can't we do this for other communities? And, and then that's another discussion. It's like, okay, who are you to think that you can go to Winona or you can go to um, Austin or you can go to Mankato and think that you are going to do um, great things for that community having never been a part of it? Right. Um, and that's where a lot of the difficulties that these, these chains have coming into um, any, any small community is that they think that they know what the city needs and having never been a part of it. So we, I, I kind of work myself into a corner about whatever the next step is and and oftentimes the next step presents itself and and we execute upon that next step it's probably easy to overthink it too you're probably thinking rochester centric but at the same time you are also southeast minnesota and southeast we are a a regionally recognized brand at this point and i don't know that you can go to any roaster in in uh, minnesota or the you know the surrounding area and and they don't know who we are right um whether we've had interactions with them at any events or, or whether we've served their coffee and that. And, and so I guess I want to make the, the coffee scene in Rochester seem uh, present and seem, um, um, what's the word, seem, um, I guess I, present would be the word, but um, relevant, relevant. So coffee, the coffee scene for Rochester, how important is that? Um, it, there are two different um, dynamics. There are the independent coffee shops and there are the chains. So um, Starbucks, Caribou, um, Mocha is kind of on, on a, a middle ground of, of those two. Um, supporting the independent coffee shops is incredibly important, but that is not to say not to support the, the chains. Um, what contributes to kind of vitality and vibrancy are independent coffee shops because they have equity. They're more interested, and a lot of them are their margins are a lot slimmer. They're making less money. And you, they start to question, well, why, why would you do it? Because they have an investment in the community. And so those are the ones that we want to mm-hmm. kind of focus our, our support on are, are the independent coffee shops. Um, the, it is growing. I think we've, we went from um, zero specialty coffee shops to uh, seven specialty coffee shops in the last um, five years. So that's an indicator that something's happening, um, and uh, we just are happy to be a part of it. And there is a big conversation around, you know, locally owned. I mean, uh, for all the good and all the bad, that conversation direction can go. Mm, sure. I think when you're talking about coffee and displaces, which you termed your third place, mm-hmm. you know, you do you do opt for local. I mean, you sure. do opt for local people that you know, and, and 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 I think that's that's a great thing for our community. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a. Um, um, there's not an entitlement to being local. Um, it's not like if you're local, then suddenly right. you are entitled to exactly right. being seen, and and you're yeah. like, well, but I'm a local business. It's like that's right. a t- don't use it as an excuse because right. that's it the quickest work. way to get kicked out the door. <laughs> that's right. Be a good business first, um, right. and then. Um, appreciate the fact that from a, a local standpoint you're able to make more of an impact so yeah that, that the local using local bit local business as an argument is perhaps a poor leg to stand on so i was going to ask you why you're still in rochester but i don't think i need to ask you that question you're not going anywhere too soon right 
I don't think so. I might be in <laughs> Columbia next month, but uh, that's uh, only for a short while. No, I, I, I plan to be in Rochester for the foreseeable future. But, um, you know, like I said, tomorrow is always the next day. And, and yeah. so any opportunity that presents itself, it, I'd actually, that's a terrible, that's a terrible thing to say that doesn't evoke confidence in yeah. my partners. Well, <laughs> but you, I, they under, they, I mean, we're all on, at a point of understanding where um, Rochester is our home. Um, and to think of even being somewhere else is unfathomable. unfathomable. I can't. Um, I look at what other people do for work, and I can't imagine doing that every single day. There are jobs that I envy, um, mostly landscaping jobs. I, I drive past people who are working for the city landscaping. I go, boy, that would be fun. <laughs> that would be <laughs> a lot of fun. Get your hands dirty. Get yeah. your hands dirty. It's honest work. Yeah. You don't have. There's no. There's a task at hand, and you go right. home. You don't carry that with you, and. Um, so that that looks like a lot of fun. Uh, train in, train conductor that would be really fun. Yes, they only right. going in one direction. All the time. You forward. You, which is which is good. And that's more of a metaphorical uh, yeah. job description. Um, you know, but, back to the local thing. Yeah, I was going to say that I went. I, I visit often, and uh, I don't go because you're local. There are a lot of places. I, that's great yeah, that yeah, it yeah. is. Um, I, I go I in see, for okay. a quality cup of coffee because yeah. you've got yeah. a great cup of coffee. I know that I can ask if you've got a light roast on tap mm-hmm. because I love flavor yep. to my coffee. Mm-hmm. Total snob comment right there. No, that's good. And we could in dig into that. to that is uh, almost every time I'm there, I see the owners. Mm-hmm. I just so happen to know them. I mean, one you've got a couple sets of owners, right? Yep. Yep. So one couple, my kids played soccer with their kids. Um, the other one you just know because you see them around town so yep. often, but they're also there enjoying the product, mm-hmm. which is a good sign. When they're you involved. see the owners there, yeah. that's great. Which brings us back to Rochester as a big, small town because the fact that you can go into a local business like that and your kids play hockey with them or soccer or, you know, you see them at the grocery store and Mm -hmm. you know them. I think that more than anything that the residents of Rochester really do kind of, um, I don't want to say take pride in it because it's not a pride thing, but it it does bring that gathering of people together who know each other. Mm -hmm. And it's a natural then to go see them at a at a local coffee shop because that's what we used to do in small town America all all through history. Yeah. We've done that. Yeah. So I I do that is the charm of Rochester again is that we are small enough to be able to say yeah. that, Randy. Right. We need to have you come back. We I'd, I'd be happy to am I over am I over my time? Ever and ever and ever. No. <laughs> but okay. I want to be respectful of your yeah. time. You know the one thing that we really like to no, is, you know, through all of this, you've been very successful, and I admire your passion. I really do. It, it's too. an external successful. I think internally we will always think about what we can be doing better or, or sure. to, to improve the do. self. Yeah. And, and sure. So. But who's, who's your role model? Who, 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 um, who do I envy? No, your role no, model. Who's, who's oh, impacted how role you do models. life? Yeah, who, who's impacted you, oh, you as a person my. today? Who's influenced you? Yeah, um... My parents, for sure. I think I think that those are the first to be credited with the. My my mother went went to ended up working for Mayo, but she was um, trained to educate people in uh, the arts. She was going to be an art art teacher, but ended up getting a gig at Mayo, and so she was very arts focused. So she cultivated the create creativity portion of of my early childhood. 
Um, and my father, um, who was an administrator at Mayo, I, know, I was never quite sure what he did, which mm. I think even administrators don't, aren't quite sure what they do, but um, <laughs> he was an administrator at Mayo and um, ran the um, supervisor for the labs uh, at Mayo Clinic. And so he built the foundations of um, perhaps my professional attitude or my, um, my interest in business. Um, I don't necessarily think that I have a, a great work ethic, but I think what work ethic I do have is, is contributed by um, both of my parents. Um, there's a fellow by the name of Dave Cohn, uh, he will not listen to this podcast because I don't think he knows what they are or, or is interested in <laughs> podcasts. He's interested in fishing and working hard. And mm-hmm. and he's a uh, my father was drafted with him in in, um, in Vietnam War, and um, we would go visit him as a as a kid. And strangely enough, our our interactions, though they were um, short, perhaps a week at a time throughout the year, he took. He like just just recognized opportunities in which he could teach someone something, which is exhausting to do. If you can imagine looking at every person and going to them, I can teach them something, but not doing it in a way like I'm going to teach you how to knit right now. It, it's doing it in a way that you can recognize an opportunity in which something can be a learning moment. Whether it is, and we would I would go fishing with him, and as a kid I would hunt more, so I would hunt with him. Um, and there were life lessons that occurred every step of the way where if I caught a fish and I was going to keep it, he said, well, what are you going to do with that fish? And, you know, making a plan that says, yeah. okay, we need to respect nature and, and respect the world around us and um, recognize our, our kind of duty to our impact around the world uh, or on our, on our surroundings. And, and it, it, it definitely helped the way I think, um, or at least process my actions. Um, there's a teacher I had English honors, honors English in high school. His name was Joe Bowers, um, over at Dovriota. And he taught me to think critically about things. If I read something, don't take it at face value. Um, understand that, um, while an author may write that Mm -hmm. a blue curtain is a blue curtain, Perhaps it is has some deeper meaning. Perhaps it is reflective of the mood of the author that they're sad or that they're melancholic or something like that. So there's a difference between a, a summary and and um, you know the uh, it, it just a, um, a, a better understanding or creating more depth to your understanding of something. Um, awesome. I, I take pieces pieces of every person I've ever interacted with and contribute them to my life, or at least try to. That's, awesome. that's the answer to it. That's amazing. I think everybody does. I don't know that there's one person that I can contribute as a role model, but there are attributes of every person that you find admirable, and you take um, yeah. small portions of them and, yeah. and, and, and attribute them to your life. That's or, a great life lesson, yeah. actually. It is. I hope that's, yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for being here today. For sure. This is awesome. Feels cool. amazing. Yeah. William, thank you very much. Hey, thank you very much. Where are people going to find you? Uh, where I, are your cafes? My, my staff can find me at <laughs> our Broadway <laughs> location most of the time. Um, and I am will am about town. I, so when I'm not doing um, coffee, I also have a uh, photography business that I do on the side, which is how I kind of got connected with Ron a little yeah. bit more. We had done a coffee or a photography class for them. And, um, it, and so... Um, our Broadway store is where you, where you can access me and uh, or any location for um, moments at a time. So, 
Wonderful. Yeah. And you're on the internet, right? I am, yeah. <laughs> Instagram, yeah, W underscore Forsman. Um, and then just my website, WilliamForsman.com. Cafe Steam's on Facebook. Steam.coffee yep. um, is our website. Cafe Steam at in, uh, on Instagram. And we don't use Twitter very much. And then you can just find us, find us on Facebook, too. Twitter's become kind of a, a minefield. It anymore. is a minefield, yeah. <laughs> and unless we are, are projecting memes as a coffee shop, I don't right. know necessarily that that's the avenue that yeah. we'll yeah. take next. So, yeah. yeah. All right. William Forsman of Cafe Steam, thank you for being our guest today. Thank we you for having me. greatly appreciate it. Uh, if you'd like to get a hold of us again, our email address is info at whitemanbrock.com. Have a great day.